Welcome to Pazina Perspectives, brought to you by Pazina Investment Management, a global value manager known for our commitment to fundamental research and disciplined value investing. In today's episode, portfolio manager Allison Fish and research analyst Lawrence Postine discuss Pazina's investment in Brazilian brewing company Ambev. So good afternoon, Lawrence. Hey, Allison. It's nice to see you it's in real life. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> so it's great that we're able to be in the same room because we haven't done that much the last few years. But one thing that we have done is find some interesting stocks to buy, right? Um, so so let's talk about Ambev. Yeah, let's talk about Ambev, Allison. It's, I'm excited to be here to talk about it. You know, it's our highlighted holding this quarter. Um, and I guess just to start with a, a broad overview of Ambev, it's uh, it's a beer producer in Latin America and Canada, and given it's headquartered in Brazil, many investors may not have uh, be familiar with it, but they probably are familiar with Ambev's parent company, and that's Anheuser-Busch InBev, which is the largest uh, beer producer in the world and owns a 62% stake in Ambev. While AB InBev is the largest brewer in the world with a 25% share by volume, its true dominance in beer is seen on a country-by-country basis, especially in Latin America and Canada, where Ambev operates. Ambev boasts a dominant position, or is part of a duopoly, in each of its 18 countries of operation. For example, in Brazil, Ambev's largest market, it has an estimated 65% market share by volume, ahead of Heineken with 19%. In several countries, it's the standalone market leader. These include Bolivia, Paraguay, Uruguay, Cuba, and the Dominican Republic. So on its own, Ambev is the third largest brewer in the world. However, the best way to think about Ambev is not as a standalone company, but rather as a Latin American and Canadian arm of AB InBev. And this is especially true since InBev has exclusive distribution rights to AB InBev's global brands within its areas of operation. And these include Budweiser, Corona, and Stella Artois. So I mentioned that Ambev has, uh, it operates in Latin America and uh, Canada, but its largest market is Brazil, where it has 50% of its revenue, um, with the balance of that being uh, dispersed among 17 other countries. The extremely consolidated market, strong brands, and distribution for Ambev have manifested in best-in-class margins and sustainably high returns on tangible capital. Oh, and the company has negative net debt. All right, Allison, I feel like I'm the hype man for Ambev. It's clearly a good business, but we wouldn't be here today if it didn't screen cheap. So I'll turn it over to you to discuss how it first came on our radar. That really strong position within Brazil, you know, Brazil being sort of the crown jewel of, of the franchise, if you think of it that way, is what created the opportunity for us, right? Because in those early months of the COVID pandemic, when everything in Brazil shut down, that had a pretty big impact on the business. You know, if you if you think about sort of what we're looking for when we're screening for companies, you know, a company for us to fall into the part of the investment universe where we get interested, it means that something bad has happened, right? So you take a company like Ambev with this great history, fantastic position within its markets, really good products, really interesting, sustainable advantages, and historically a very high valuation. And all of a sudden, the stock has fallen precipitously and it has landed in our screening universe. Why is that? Well, Brazil was in trouble, right? 
due to the shutdown, you had a big fall in currency, which affects businesses whose inputs are priced in dollars. Beyond that, you had all of the bars and restaurants closed in Brazil, like everywhere. Um, a mix issue that happens within that industry that that's pretty punitive and a lot of other interesting things that that looked like they might be pretty exciting, but we didn't know. Right. So, so the first thing that had to happen was you had to dive in and get into the details. And so when you started to look at Ambev, what were you discovering that made you think, "Ooh, this one looks really good? I'd say the metric that that really stood out to me was Ambev's returns on, on tangible capital, which uh, have been greater than 50% year after year. And, and that's significantly higher than uh, competitors. I mean, that's on par with software companies. But of course, sustaining that return isn't easy. Interestingly, we discovered that distribution is actually AMBEV's greatest competitive advantage. Distribution is particularly complex in Latin America because most beer is sold in returnable glass bottles. And these bottles are delivered to bars and picked up after each use to be sanitized and relabeled at the plant. The logistics and capital needed to make this happen keeps out many would-be competitors. Clearly, Ambev is a good company. I mean, it checks that box in, in spades. Now, when you see something like that, do you think, oh, this is a great company, we should buy it? Or, oh, no, this is too high. It can't be this good. And, and how do you get comfortable with that high level of earnings? Well, it's interesting because a company with such high returns on capital, you would be expecting would be trading at much higher multiples than it was. Uh, and, and partly due to what you mentioned about what was happening in, in the emerging markets in, in Brazil. Um, so what I wanted to do was find out first, why was it returning such high returns on, on capital? And the short answer, what I found is it was market structure. Uh, in the story of how Ambev and AB InBev uh, came to consolidate the beer industry uh, is fascinating. It started in 1999 with the merger of, of Brahma and Antarctica, um, which brought together uh, what was then Brazil's two largest breweries. And that entity was, was called American Beverage Company, or short, uh, Ambev. Um, and then in 2004, Ambev merged with Interbrew to create InBev, becoming the world's largest brewer. And then it became even larger after acquiring Anheuser-Busch in 2008. Uh, and then even larger after acquiring Grupo Modelo in 2012 and SAB Miller in 2016. And these are just the big acquisitions. There have been many smaller ones. And so having consolidated the fragmented beer industry with well over 500 brands in its portfolio, AB InBev is arguably the greatest roll-up in history and t today makes one out of every four beers sold world worldwide. Its closest competitor, Heineken, is only half as big. And it's through this consolidation of the beer industry uh, that AMBEV is able to achieve such high returns on, on capital. Um, and, and, and through this, AMBEV is, uh, has remained a publicly traded subsidiary of AB InBev. And within Brazil, what's the advantage that you, that you saw as particularly interesting? When we looked at AMBEV in late 2020, there were three controversies that caused a steep decline in the share price. The first was COVID-related restrictions on bars and restaurants that led to a fall in beer volumes. The second controversy has to do with the margin headwinds from on-premise, off-premise mix. In on-premise channels, bars and restaurants, beer is consumed in returnable glass bottles that are reused 20 to 30 times. 
and so have a much lower cost to Ambev than one-way presentations, such as aluminum cans or long necks, which are mostly served in off-premise. In fact, the gross margin differential is 20% between the returnable glass bottles and the one-way presentations. So when Brazilians shifted drinking from mostly on-premise to off-premise, that hurt Ambev's gross margins. The third controversy has to do with the decade-long depreciation of the Brazilian currency against the U.S. dollar. And this shows up in Ambev's gross margins. Ambev sales in Brazil are generated entirely in local currency, while half its cost of goods sold are in U.S. dollars. This comes from international commodities such as barley and aluminum. This mismatch squeezes the company's gross margin when the Brazilian real depreciates. What we saw was the volume decline, the unfavorable on-premise, off-premise mix, and the depreciation of the real all created uh, a perfect storm for Ambev, which gave us the opportunity to invest at that time. Yeah, and what, what's interesting is that, you know, if you just looked at the beer volumes today versus back then, you would think the storm is over, right? I mean, volumes have, have bounced back very nicely in Brazil. And in terms of at least beer drinking, you would think that everything is normal there. But of course, everything is not normal. When you look at what's happening for the company, it's really become a victim of the geography where it sits in terms of valuation, right? Although Brazilians are drinking plenty of beer, the economy is not in a good place, right? As, as you mentioned, the currency continues to be very weak and, and perhaps getting weaker if you read the headlines of, of what's going on. And the government is is not in a very stable place in terms of what's going on. And all of this is hitting investor sentiment and hence the valuation of the company. Yet when you look at the business itself, it has managed this period very, very well and continues to do so. And, and there are a number of reasons why we would think that should continue. But this is a really classic example of what you sometimes see in emerging markets, which is a really good business is sitting in a certain geography and gets punished by negative investor sentiment. And in fact, this past quarter, we took a look at this on a broader level in terms of you know, what happens when a certain country really underperforms emerging markets in general because of you know, oftentimes situations just like the current one. And what we found was actually quite interesting. You know, if you look at emerging market countries that have underperformed emerging markets substantially, in the past 12 months, and then you track those countries' performance over the next year, three-year, and five-year periods, we found a pretty significant amount of outperformance, which, you know, if you're a value investor, that sort of intuitively makes sense to you, right? These countries are getting punished because the expectations are really negative for what's going to happen. Often, because investors are emotional, they sort of overcorrect to the negative in terms of sentiment. And then the actual results in terms of country performance, it, it does a bit better. So, you know, we would say sort of broadly, if Brazil follows this rubric that we've seen demonstrated historically, it should be pretty good for Brazilian stocks. But of course, this isn't true all the time. You know, like anything else, it's sort of 60-40 when you look at sort of the success rate of this type of, of investing. So from our perspective, you know, and, and I'd love to hear more about this from you, Lawrence, you know, we don't have to rely on sentiment around Brazil in order for this stock to work well, right? Because of the levers that the company has that it can pull in terms of increasing its own earnings power, even if the valuation stays right where it is today. 
That's right. Yeah. And it, you mentioned volumes have come back and, and yet the stock price is still depressed. And, and I just want to go into that a little deeper. And so we, we have seen volumes come back up and, and actually in record fashion. And so I mentioned that we hit a trough in the second quarter of 2020. The very next quarter, in the third quarter of 2020, we, we had a record quarter. And actually, we've had record quarters uh, each quarter since. Uh, and, and so the debate there now is not whether volumes can get back to pre-pandemic or even pre-2015-16 recession levels. They've done that. The question now is, uh, can those volumes uh, be maintained? While a portion of the volume gains can be attributed to one-off factors, such as Brazil's Corona vouchers, which are similar to the stimulus checks we received in the U.S., uh, we believe that volumes can be maintained for three reasons. The first is that 20% of Ambev's volumes today are from new products introduced in the past three years, most notably Brahma Duplo Malte, which is the fastest growing brand in Brazil. Second, Ambev acquired more than 3 million new customers since 2019, attributable to the company's increased distribution penetration. And then lastly, intuitively, beer consumption per capita is highly correlated to a country's GDP per capita, which for Brazil is currently depressed, setting up a viable growth avenue by way of an economic rebound from the country's ongoing recession. I, I do want to go back to the controversy that really still remains today, and, and that's, that's on uh, margins. And, and yeah, so this is where the risk reward um, at the current price is skewed to the upside. If the Brazilian real appreciates from here, sure, we'll see margins go up. But we're not experts in FX, and we don't need that to happen. As long as the real remains relatively stable, we expect margins to increase from a more normalized on-premise, off-premise mix, pricing power, and perhaps most importantly, premiumization. And that's the trend of consumers moving beyond mainstream brands toward higher-priced beers. Premiumization is a trend that happens in, in all mature markets, and there's two things we see. The first is that premiumization increases as a percent of total volume, and the second thing is the number of beers within the premium category increases. And, and so, just to give you perspective on this, the, the premium category in Brazil makes up just 16% of Brazil's total volumes today. And what we see in other emerging uh, markets like Russia, it's at 42%, and in Chile, it's 32%. And, and generally in developed markets, it's, it's well over uh, 30%. The other thing I'd note uh, on premiumization is that within Brazil, uh, five brands account for 70 to 80% of total premium volumes. And so what we see in mature markets is that typically the five largest brands will account for 20 to 30% of the premium beer market. This is a trend that's going to really help Ambev because of its wide portfolio of, of brands that it gets from its parent company, AB Ambev. And so Heineken, as we mentioned, is the, its main competitor in Brazil. And Heineken, the brand has done extremely well, but it's kind of been a one-hit wonder. And, and so as the Brazil market matures, what we'll find is that consumers are going to want more choice within the premium segment. And it's Ambev that has that ability to, to offer that wider selection um, versus Heineken, uh, which does have, have fewer brands. So in other words, the premiumization trend has a long runway and management is looking to aggressively push this 
uh, over the next three to five years. And what do we think it can do for margins? Gross margins today are at 51%. And I, I think they can get to 57% over the next five years. And so about 1% of that is going to come from the uh, shift back to more uh, on-premise uh, consumption. Mm -hmm. Probably about 1% of that is just going to come from pricing power that Ambev has. But the larger majority of that, probably around 4%, is going to come from this trend of, of premiumization. Uh, again, so why are margins higher with, with premium beers? So a premium beer costs about the same to make as, as a, a mainstream beer, but obviously it's, it's priced higher. And so that uh, is really the, the main driver of uh, gross margins uh, going forward. Pretty powerful effect then when you roll it up like that. It's, it's huge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think it's it's pretty clear from the conversation that we've been having that this is a company that has a lot of levers that it can pull moving forward in terms of improving its own destiny, even sitting in Brazil, which which is struggling with a lot of problems at the time. That makes Ambev, I think, a great example of the type of company that we like to invest in, right? There's always going to be pain when we're interested. Sometimes that pain is specific to a company, something that it's going through, um, certainly we saw you know, some company-specific issues in the beginning of COVID with Ambev. Sometimes the issue is broader throughout an entire industry or an ent entire country and economy. Um, and we, we see that today with Brazil. And sometimes you get both, right? A business that's in pain in an environment where there's a lot of pain. Um, and what's exciting, I think, about this one in particular is that you know, even if the part that Ambev can't control, i.e. the environment, doesn't improve as quickly as we would like, the company itself has some things that it can do in order to improve earnings and, and therefore thereby the stock price, we hope. Right, yeah, and, and that, that pain that you talked about is really the FX headwinds that cause margins to come down. And, and these were out of the company's control. And, and like you said, what, what I like about Ambev is that what, we can, get, what can get margins back is within the company's control. And, and that's through the, 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 the mix, the pricing power, the premiumization. And that really provides that asymmetric upside uh, to Ambev's market valuation and, and why we like the stock. So Lawrence, thanks so much for the chat today. It's great to see you, of course, and also great to, to chat more about Ambev. Yeah, great to see you, Allison. Should we go for a beer? <laughs> Let's do it. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Pazina Perspectives. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And for more insights on value investing, visit our website at www.pazina.com. That's www.pzena.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter.